We want to welcome you to the Bible teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church, where our desire is to honor God by faithful obedience to His Word. If you want to understand the Bible better, please continue to listen as Pastor Matt Postiff explains and applies the biblical text one verse at a time. You can reach us with questions or for more teaching audio and print material at our website, fbcaa.org. You can also watch our services live at fbcaa.org live. We want to thank you for listening and pray that you will be edified. Join us now as Pastor Postiff opens God's Word. Welcome this evening. Acts chapter 9, please. Acts 9, verses 31 to 43 is our portion this evening. As we uh, complete this section of the book of Acts, we're going to move into, after this, the uh, Gentile ministry. And uh, welcome, Ben. Thank you for coming. I didn't see you come in there earlier. <laughs> we were praying. We had a good time of prayer. We're going to be talking about uh, peace and progress in the church this evening, among other things that this text of Scripture brings to our attention uh, we will see that God cleared Saul from the path of progress of the church so that there was a period of solid growth in numerous churches uh, and numerous cities in the, in the region. The first three quarters or so of the chapter, chapter 9, recorded Saul's conversion and his preaching of Jesus Christ, very shocking turn of events for the life of the church and the life of the Jewish persecutors to see that a foremost persecutor of the faith was turned into its foremost advocate. And uh, boy, how we would love to have more of that sort of thing happen today. God, may you do that in these days. But uh, the rest of the chapter uh, moves away from Saul for a moment, and it comes back to Peter and really sets the stage for the apostle Peter to uh, be ready and in kind of in place for the events of Acts 10 and 11, which have to do with the development of the gospel into the Gentile regions of the area and then out to the Gentile world. Uh, before Saul got active in missionary work in chapter 13, uh, Peter was already busy about it uh, earlier. So uh, the persecution movement suffers a huge setback with the Apostle Paul now, the Saul uh, of uh, the road to Damascus being converted and uh, lost a lot of steam, the persecution movement did. This came at the same time when there was a couple of political things going on. Pontius Pilate had passed off the scene. It was replaced by a couple, a series of a couple new Roman governors, uh, Marcellus and Morulus, I think their names were, um, short-lived kind of governors. And there was also a situation where Emperor Caligula, Caligula was widely reputed to be kind of a crazy man, and uh, he wanted to set up a statue of himself in Herod's temple and make it an imperial worship center. And that statue was being prepared, and they uh, had two legions of Roman troops ready to uh, implement the placement of that statue in the temple, uh, opposed to the Jews, of course, who wouldn't want that to be the case. And so the highly resistant Jews, the Romans, uh, and who came in to broker peace between them was one who grew up with uh, Claudius and with Agrippa, I believe, in the Roman court, his name was uh, Agrippa, Herod Agrippa, and he brokered peace uh, between the parties and, and, and became king over the region until A.D. 44, 
You know what happened in A.D. 44? Well, in Acts chapter 11, it says that uh, people regarded his voice as the voice of a god and not of a man. And God struck him, and he died. Uh, history suggests that he might have been poisoned. Uh, we'll leave that to uh, history, but we know that it was God's doing because he did not give honor to God. But he was there, and uh, what we see, let's read verse uh 31, it says, Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee to the north, and Samaria in between them, had peace and were edified. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. And so this, re, this situation, dual situation kind of, the persecutor being uh, converted and the government being kind of set in order, this government was one that was less tolerant of Jewish troublemakers. They were, you know, wanted to put them down. Pilate was not so um, harsh against the Jews. Remember, he would give them a prisoner once a year. Uh, he would kind of let them get away with murder, so to speak, which they did uh, in the persecutions and with Jesus and so on. He was very weak, wishy-washy. But that was not always the Roman way. Um, and uh, this fellow, these, these ones that came on later were a little more tough. They didn't want a lot of nonsense going on. And what happened then was that the secular government was good for the Christian church because it maintained order and didn't allow persecution to just break out in, in lawlessness against the people of the empire, the citizens of the empire. And so if the government punishes true criminals and restrains sinners from running amok, this allows the church to have a peaceful existence. And that has been observed for years and years, even in recent times. If you're a political observer, you know that if the United States government is strong and has a stronger moral base and a more, a more uh, kind of, how can I say, pushy, um, uh, peace-loving, strength-loving foreign policy, Christians around the world rejoice because there's less persecution. <laughs> Uh, imagine what you can do if you're the president of the United States and you ring up the phone somebody in some country and say, look, it, I hear you're persecuting Christians there. What are we going to do about that? And uh, if you don't do something about that, there are a lot of uh, things that we can do to make your life difficult. And oh, how I wish our presidents would do that on a regular basis to restrict uh, people from religious persecution. Hey, listen, if I were the president, I would even do that for like these people we prayed for on Sunday, these Muslim people who are being persecuted and chased off into the ocean and left to float out there for weeks at a time and dying. They have to throw their dead overboard and bury them at sea. Uh, what's the call for that? I, uh, there's no humanity there. That's just evil. It's just simple evil. Well, so when the government is strongly doing its task of uh, punishing evildoers and praising those who do well, then uh, we can have a peaceful existence. And that's really what we're supposed to be praying about, isn't it? 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 tell us that we're to make prayer and supplication for all men, for kings and all that are in authority, that we may lead a peaceable life in all godliness so that we can, we can do what God's will is for us instead of you know, running and looking over our shoulders all the time because of persecution or losing all of our property having to spend our money in fines and things like that, and we can put it towards Bible printing and, and missionaries and 
supporting churches and all of those things. So we should pray to that end. Whoever's in power, you know, whether it's left or right or whatever it is, let's pray for peace so that the church can progress. You know, in a, in a way, the heathen are going to rage. They're going to do their thing. You know, they're going to do crazy things in Supreme Courts like you've heard about today and all of that sort of stuff. Let that happen, okay? It's going to happen. What you need to do is be focused on what the Lord wants us to do and to be ministering for the sake of the gospel, praying for peace and making use of that. Now, the verse here gives us several details in verse 31 about the situation. It first of all talks about a wide area of churches that were impacted. It says, Judea, Galilee, and Samaria. Now, you might off, you know, you might wish, oh, I wish it said Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth, you know, like Acts 1 says. Well, it doesn't quite say that, but it means the first three of those anyway, because Judea is the surrounding region of Jerusalem. We know Jerusalem was relatively at peace now as well. Galilee and Samaria. By the way, remember, uh, just cement this in your mind, Judea and Samaria, you know what they're called today? Remember, I told you this before. The West Bank. The West Bank is actually Judea and Samaria. So when somebody says the West Bank and it's occupied and all that sort of stuff, just remember, it belongs to the Jews. It's, it's Judea and Samaria. Okay, that's, it's very plain and obvious. Anybody that's a student of, of history beyond, you know, just the last few decades. Well, anyway, the gospel had um, uh, rest in those areas, uh, had peace, and uh, all these churches in the region were there. And I suspect, although we know the Jerusalem church was quite large, the churches in these other surrounding areas were probably small. Uh, smaller. You know how, how big a synagogue had to be? Had to have minimally 10 men, 10 Jewish men, so 10 families uh, probably, or, or, or you know, clans that had several adult men in them. Uh, so you had enough people to have a little synagogue. And it could be bigger than that. But, uh, so there could have been a lot of small churches dotting the landscape uh, at this point. The second impact here, or, or it's kind of detail that's given, in verse 31, is they had peace. They were no longer afraid for their lives. Have you ever been afraid for your life? Probably very rarely, have we? Yeah, imagine what they must have been feeling, thinking somebody's going to come in and haul us off from the church meeting or the synagogue where we're teaching about Jesus or our home or like Paul was going even home to home and getting people that were reputed to be Christians. I I don't imagine they had very much, um, how can we say, due process of law, (laughs) you know, trial by jury of their peers and all that good stuff. I doubt it. Number three, the the relief from persecution allowed them to focus on edification. You see that? The region... You know, the West Bank, Galilee, what they had was peace. Thirdly, they were edified. They were built up in the faith, uh, solidified in their belief, uh, you know, learned in uh, apostolic doctrine. They were worshiping together, growing together. They were built up. And that's what we're here for tonight, to be built up, to be reminded of 
crucial truths in the scriptures, to be um, reminded of those things, strengthened in those things, uh, built up in the holy faith, which was once delivered to the saints. Number four, the scripture tells us they were walking in the fear of the Lord. These churches were walking in the fear of the Lord. Do you remember the fear of the Lord, that phrase happening in other places in the scripture? Acts 2, uh, and Acts is what I'm thinking of specifically, Acts 2, um, 43, after they were continuing steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and the breaking of bread and in prayers, then fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Acts chapter 5, verse number 5, after Ananias uh, fell down dead because he lied to the Holy Spirit. It says in Acts 5, 5, after he breathed his last, so great fear came upon all those who heard these things. In Acts chapter 5 and verse number 11, when similar uh, happened to uh, the wife, uh, Sapphira, so great fear came upon all the church and upon all who heard these things. That's how God purified his church. He gave them a warning that if you lie, if you mess around with God, you know, if you come and you defile the church, then God will destroy you. That's what 1 Corinthians chapter 3 says, by the way. If you, if you destroy the church of God, God will destroy you. And so God used this to get people's attention. Then, <laughs> then... Oh, there's one other one, Acts uh, 19. Of course, this is much later in history, but in Acts 19, verse 17, um, Paul uh, came to Ephesus, worked, worked with some men who believed in John the Baptist, and got, they were saved and baptized them. And then there were miracles that Paul did that, that uh, authenticated his ministry. And then there was this guy... Um, the seven sons of Siva, actually, a Jewish chief priest who tried to call out an evil spirit by the name of Jesus, and this evil spirit beat them up. And um, it says in verse 17, This became known both to all the Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus, and fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. So it wasn't just that uh, you know you could just use the name of Jesus any old way you wanted to, and so that caused them to... Uh, you know, kind of straighten up and fly right a little bit too, you know, uh, get some fear, fear of God into their souls. Also, this is the fifth item that happens in Acts chapter 9, verse 31. Get back there here. So they were walking in the fear of the Lord and they were walking in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. The churches were living in the comfort of the Spirit of God. Now, what did Jesus promise when he said, I'm going to leave I'm going to give you another comforter, okay? Yeah, somebody's paying attention out there. Another comforter. And, and guess what? The Spirit of God was doing exactly what he was sent to do. And that's indeed what the churches experienced, that they were walking in the comfort, in the, in the uh, encouragement, or let's see, what, are the, what does your footnote have? Um, you know, the, the strength of the uh, Holy Spirit of God. We see that in John 14 and other places where that's mentioned. And then finally, it says in verse 31, in all of this context, the church, peace, edification, walking in the fear of God, walking in the comfort of the Spirit, 
they were multiplied. There was growth. I want you to notice something interesting. In Acts chapter 6, the Bible tells us there was kind of a, a problem in the church. It was growing, and the problem was that the widows weren't being properly cared for. They got that situation straightened out, and then in Acts chapter 6, verse 7, the Bible tells us after they got that straightened out, the church multiplied. Here again, we've had a serious problem. A season of persecution has come upon the church. That was resolved, and then there was growth after that. God was pruning, and the church was then there later growing. And so we see there are seasons in the life of the church. Globally and locally, there's a season. I see it in the life of our church. I've seen seasons, you know, kind of like a cycle, ups and downs. And, um, you know, if you want, we can pray together about the cycle that we're in right now and talk about what that is exactly. But that's where there are those things. And globally, there is as well. Persecutions can break out on a more massive scale in larger regions, or they can subside. There's kind of an ebb and a flow to these things. And uh, I, I suspect that uh, we've many been saying that we you know, expect more persecution coming, and we're experiencing that, as Brother Williquet mentioned to us in his preaching just a few weeks ago. But uh, we're ripe for more persecution of the church. The progressives, the far leftists are in such control in certain places, including in our own area, that uh, we shan't be surprised if there are difficulties for, uh, for churches. If we find ourselves in a season of peace, which generally we do in our area at the moment, we need to do everything we can to take advantage of that for the sake of the gospel. You're not going to get a more peaceful time than the one we're living in right now, pretty much. I mean, you could hope for, you know, uh, Christian politicians and, you know, reconstructionism and, you know, uh, theonomy to take over and everything to be Christian in the government and all that, but I'm, gonna hear, I'm here to tell you that ain't happening, okay? <laughs> it's not going to happen. And so we need to take advantage of the peace and prosperity that we have now for the gospel. Most people use prosperity and peace for their own purposes. They don't, they don't, they don't consult with you as to what you should do to, they should do to help the church or work in the church where they just make their own decision. They're going to do their own thing, spend their own resources on themselves and, um, and all of that. Wouldn't consider going overseas to a short-term missions trip or uh, consider giving, uh, you know, sacrificially for some project or giving of their time. God forbid they give of their time to uh, do things for the Lord, even come to prayer meeting. I don't mean to be scolding, but I kind of am. Uh, <laughs> we need to be doing the things of the Lord. Um, so everything we can to take advantage of our peaceful time for the sake of the gospel, not for the sake of our personal comfort. Now, notice the Great Commission is well underway. We said Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. We've got churches in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, even in Galilee. Soon they're going to be, there's going to be something in Caesarea with Cornelius. And then in chapter 13, Paul's going to go out and start evangelizing a wider swath of the world. And so the uttermost parts of the earth is on deck. But God did not abandon the church even when Paul was at his, Saul was at his height of persecution. And he does not abandon the church today either. Persecution may purify and prune so that growth may occur in the church. 
So that's all in verse 31. We move on then to see what Peter continues uh, to do in verse 32. It says, I'll read down through verse 35. It came to pass as Peter went through all parts of the country that he came down to the saints who dwelt at Lydda. So Peter was on a preaching tour. He was visiting saints in a church at Lydda. The, the calming of the persecution allowed him to have freedom to travel. He didn't have to worry, uh, as he would later on when Herod put him in jail. Remember, he got out of jail in Acts 12, and he had to be always looking over his shoulder then for a while to make sure that he wasn't being followed, somebody wasn't trying to get him. And he went down to Lydda. This may be the same as the city known as Lod, L-O-D, Mentioned in 1 Chronicles 8.12. It's a day's journey from Joppa. It's near the modern city of Tel Aviv. If you go to Jerusalem, you'll fly into the airport, the Ben-Gurion International Airport near Tel Aviv, um, and go out uh, from there to wherever you're going. But um, that's on the seacoast, essentially. Uh, it says here in verse 33, then he found a certain man named Aeneas who had been bedridden eight years and was paralyzed. So evidently this man had a decent life up to a certain point and then something happened to him, an accident, a stroke, um, a disease, and he became bedridden and was unable to use his... uh, Legs, probably, his body, his whole body. And so Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Arise and make your bed. Then he arose immediately. So all who dwelt at Lydda and Sharon, the nearby village, saw him and turned to the Lord. Aeneas is mentioned here as a certain man. We don't know if this certain man was a follower of Jesus yet, but he was a man who was paralyzed and has been bedridden for some time. This is um, work that needs a miracle, you know, not just uh, the power of positive thinking is going to, you know, cut it here. This guy has some problems and he's uh, atrophied and all of that, unable to move. Now, I want you to notice here, Notice what the Bible says, okay? Not what I say, not what man says, what the Bible says. It says in verse 34, Aeneas, notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say, I heal you. What does it say? Jesus Christ heals you. Peter was just an instrument. He was an instrument. He was a, a mouthpiece if you will. He was not the one who did the miracle. He made the announcement, but at that point, the word of the Lord took over. The word of the Lord made the heavens, didn't it? The starry skies above and all the earth, all of humanity, all of the animals, the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the sun and the moon and the stars and the mighty heavens above. That's what the word of the Lord made. The word of the Lord parted the Red Sea. The word of the Lord raised up Lazarus from the dead. Lazarus, come forth. The widow of Nain's son rose from the dead because of the word 
of the Lord. Many a leper and demon-possessed person was healed because of the word of Jesus. It was the powerful word. The effects of this word were healing, immediate, and complete. How physically did that happen? How naturally did that happen? There's no known natural explanation because it's supernatural. It's a miracle. Uh, Yes, we do as Christians believe that there are things beyond nature. It seems self-evident that that's the case. We can sense that that's the case in ourselves. We know that there's something beyond nature uh, that the naturalist doesn't want to uh, address, but seems like to me we have to address. We can't limit ourselves to just natural phenomena. Others in the region then became believers because of what they saw in the miracle man here, Aeneas. But let me say this. It says, So all who dwelt at Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. They could not theologically have turned to the Lord only because of a miracle. A miracle doesn't have faith content in it except that it points to God. There is other faith content that's necessary. And I think we would be well within reason to go back to verse number 32 where it says, Peter went through all parts of the country. What do you think he was doing when he went to? He's just walking around sightseeing, vacationing, right? Got his trip ticks and he's all on on the road. Got his little map and all that. No, he is preaching the gospel and the kingdom and the Lord Jesus Christ. He's doing exactly what Jesus did before him. Remember in Acts chapter 1, Luke said, I wrote to you, O Theophilus, previously about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. And the clear implication of what Luke is saying is that he's now going to write in his second book, you know, Luke 2, second Luke, right? The book of Acts. I'm going to write to you about what Jesus continues to do and to teach through his spirit and through the apostles. Okay, that's the big picture of what's happening. And so Jesus is continuing to work through Peter. Peter's preaching just like the Lord did when he went from village to village. Remember, we were just in in Luke about this, where Jesus said, look, for this reason I've come. I have to go to all the other villages and preach the gospel of the kingdom. And I think Peter was doing the exact same thing. He had walked with the Lord. He had seen the Lord do this. And so what does he do? He does the same thing. That's that's quite encouraging. He just does what he was showed to do. In fact, Peter is doing what Jesus told him to do in John 21. You remember that passage of Scripture? Peter, feed my lambs. Feed my sheep. Tend my sheep. That's what Peter was about doing. Here And so when he went out preaching the gospel, the people at Lydda and Sharon saw Aeneas and they turned to the Lord because they had also heard what Peter was saying. You know, what, what is this all about? Well, I can only imagine Peter saying, you know, let me tell you what it's about. Jesus is the one who healed this one. I'll tell you who Jesus is. He's the coming king. He's the one who died for your sins and rose again according to the scriptures and so on and so forth. And he and, and when the people said, you know, like in Acts 2, what should we do? Brethren, what should we do? <laughs> Repent and believe the gospel. And be baptized. So we don't, 
we, we can fill in some blanks here and don't have to just say, oh, wow, we've got to have all these miracles for people to get saved. No, what you have to have is the gospel. The miracles certainly help in the sense of getting people's attention. <laughs> I, won't, I won't deny that. That's the, that's the case. But God has not been pleased to continue those miracles today. Even if he did, it wouldn't be us who did the miracles. Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. It's God who does the healing, not us. Well, um, we've still got a number of verses to go here. And uh, in order to not detain you too long, you haven't been really detained, but you're free to go. Uh, We want to just pause here. We'll pick up with the raising of Tabitha, also known as Dorcas, at Joppa uh, next time. Uh, as the Lord allows. But uh, before we get to that, next uh, maybe Wednesday, we have a very special holiday coming. And uh, I wish you a Merry Christmas and uh, welcome you to come on Sunday. We'll have all three services like we normally do. I will be tasked with preaching all three of those services, and I am thinking about a three-part series on Christmas. Uh, You're going to have to come if you want to hear all three parts, so you'll be here. That's a good deal. All right. Well, God bless you all. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the word of the gospel. We thank you for the churches. When they had peace, you allowed them to be edified and walk in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit and to be, edif- to, to be multiplied, rather. And Lord, we just pray that you would do that for our church. Help us to reach out to people, find ways to uh, talk to them, Um, introduce them to Jesus, and uh, we'll give you thanks in Christ's name. Amen.